What's up guys, it's your boy Paul, aka Mr. What The Footy, your favourite podcast host. Not gonna lie, it's been a sick week for the poddy. We made it into Fulham's match day programme. And last week we had Laura Rafferty on the podcast. But guys, a very big episode coming to you now. Women's football in England is booming. From superstars like Alex Morgan crossing the Atlantic to thrilling derbies. I sat down with Alex Alexandru, chairman at Sully Hall Moors, to find out more about the business behind women's football. Alex spoke about the importance of creating a pathway from junior level to first team. We debated the role that the Premier League should play within women's football and I argued why the women's game should not seek to replicate the men's game, which is full of many failures, but instead should look to American sport franchises for inspiration. Guys, this is the What The Footy Podcast. This is the business behind the women's game. Guys, I hope you love it, not like it, hope you love it so you know what to do download subscribe rate and review and tell a friend tell a friend let's go what the footy what the footy what the footy what the footy knew some other guys liked me but i didn't know it was to that extent being a kid in primary school now it's a powerful people and i think they need to recognize that but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So when in the league, let's just win this to appease the fan. Welcome to the What The Footy podcast, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes, giving you insight into football, business, management and operations. Today, I'm joined by a very, very special guest. He's the chairman of a women's team who are up and on the rise, Alex Alexandru. Welcome to the What The Footy podcast. Thanks, Paul. I'm really happy to be here uh, today and I'm looking forward to our conversation. How we always obviously like to start off the podcast is what the foot are you lying for? So uh, take me away with your uh, three statements. I was coached by an ex-Manchester United manager. Coached by an ex-United manager. I was okay. a professional footballer. Professional footballer. I met with Sir Stanley Matthews. Met with Sir Stanley Matthews. Wow, what a legend. Absolute legend. Um, oh, those are some tough ones. I'm not even going to lie to you. Um, you don't strike me as, a prof- as somebody who would have played professional football. Um, so... Um, uh, there seems to be a running theme here in terms of being coached, okay, maybe like semi-pro on the weekend. Back in the day, I think I could go with that as a truth. Uh, professional, you played professional football. I would say that's a lie. And you've met with Sir Stanley Matthews, what a legend. Um, I'd say... That's a truth as well. But we'll find that towards the end anyway. 
And um, But yeah, Alex, I thought it'd be great to get you on here as well. I think women's football is at a very, very exciting time. I think um, over the last sort of couple of years, we've seen the sort of rise in the popularity we're seeing. We're going to look at the, the top end of women's football, more superstars like Alex Morgan coming over and playing playing here in England as well. And and you've been someone who's almost tried to to build up a football club. And I think it'd be obviously great for the listeners to almost really understand what was the state of the of the club when you first took it over and where are you guys trying to get to? Really? Okay, then I'll give you a bit of history to um, uh, the, the main yeah. club, Solihull Moors Football Club. Um, well over a decade ago, uh, it was two separate clubs, Moore Green FC and Solihull Borough FC. Those two teams came together and formed Solihull Moors and then they were in the non-league pyramid, still are, and following a promotion, uh, they've stayed in the National League. But the club was taken over just over two years ago by Daryl Lills, who was the chairman of Oxford United. And that's where I got to know Daryl, because he asked me to do a football and history project in local schools with him. And um, I'd also been involved with another football club, which we'll come on to later, I hope. And yeah. he then asked me when he took over Solihull Moors, whether I would come along and help him out uh, initially in a consultancy role. And then um, in 2019, he asked me to become a director of the club with specific remits. Uh, the two key remits were to help look after the football and education program we run with a local school and also to uh, look after the women's team. Now, um, the women's team was originally yeah. a separate football club, but through one process and another had come under the umbrella of the football club under its previous um, ownership and so on. But when we, Daryl and I went to an end of season um, do with the team, uh, we just couldn't believe what we were hearing and seeing. It was, it, it was a, it was a yeah. mess really. And basically, uh, Daryl and I looked at each other and then had a chat and said, look, we need to restructure this completely. Um, they just yeah. avoided relegation only because another team had dropped out of the league and there was one team worse than them in terms of points. Yeah. Uh, they basically had gone through a series of managers in just that season. Um, wow. They they didn't have proper kit or equipment and they basically um, couldn't put out a team at times and they were playing in the fourth tier of English women's football they play in the mm. FAWNL uh, Midlands Division 1 it's fourth tier uh, women's football so it's quite high up it's not part of the regional yeah. structure uh, uh, as such uh, that works uh, below there. So Daryl said, would you become chairman of the team and try and get it sorted? First thing I did was to start to begin uh, to create the structures. So I created a committee yeah. and then we had a meeting and we said, right, this needs a complete reboot. 
So we started with appointing our manager, David Healy, who had come on board towards the end of last season, but in a, in a small coaching capacity. But he was known within the club and had done coaching roles at youth and junior level. And uh, he had experience of women's football. And we said, yeah, he's a young manager. He's bright. He's got ideas. Let's get him in. And we did. And that's one. How hard was it to convince him to to want to get involved, seeing the sort of state that the, that the club previously was in before? Not a hard job at all, thankfully for me. Um, he, he jumped at the <laughs> opportunity because he was given a blank yeah, canvas. Good. And, you know, he mm. had a promise from me that, you know, irrespective of results in the first season, he wasn't going to lose his job at the end of it because I felt yeah. we needed a five-year plan and we've got a five-year plan as, a, as, a, as the main club in terms of getting into the professional um, EFL leagues and, and going on from there. But we've got a, a significant plan for the club, particularly from a community perspective, uh, that is a, a five-year plan as well. So we, we are, we've got long-term objectives and, you know, having a very strong women's section and a strong women's team, first team, is absolutely essential, particularly from our community perspective, but also how we want to develop football within the Solihull area from all perspectives. Yeah. So David jumped at the chance and... Um, we got on really well and I think having um, a good working relationship between the manager and the chairman is always important. We got off on the right foot straight away and our relationship has got stronger and we work really well together. And I think that's a real key strength of where we are. So basically I said to David, go away and think what you actually need from us. So he came back with a a list of bullet points and I looked at it and I thought oh this is yeah. going to cost a bit of money as well yeah war it and was. peace yeah, yeah war it and was. peace but it was they're all sensible um suggestions to start getting us on the road yeah by the time we'd appointed David it was quite late on uh before the 2019-20 season you know it was late June-ish so again he had very yeah. little time to put a squad together and he looked you know high and wide to try and get players in of a certain standard. And that was very difficult. But the, the good thing was he got a squad. We then, mm. we then provided him with the equipment, new kit, home and away, and began to put some money behind the team. We'd also developed on our site. Um, we play at Damson Park in Solihull. So we had the main stadium, but behind the main stadium, we did have a sort of rough old um, training pitch. That was completely dug up and a brand spanking new 3G uh, pitch was put was laid down in the summer of 2019. And that became the permanent home of the women's team. Before they were yeah. hiring out venues wherever they could. So again, we were... Yeah. We put in place the foundations to professionalise this team. So we had our own home ground, which was good. That means that they could train twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, which wasn't happening before. David not only um, started to recruit players, he started to recruit a coaching staff. So again, the whole ethos 
of the team was moving forward in terms of what was available to David in terms of support from the main club, but also how he was going to develop both the coaching and playing aspect of that team. So throughout that, we worked really hard in the summer of 2019 and it was both on and off the pitch. Yeah. Um, myself and the, the committee uh, that run the team um, decided that it wouldn't just be the first team. I, I had a vision of having a pathway and it's something I've always had when yeah. I've been involved with teams um, and clubs. It's very important that you have a pathway so you can develop players that are local players that can have the dream and aspiration of getting into the first team. Now, we've got a vibrant youth and junior section uh, at the club. In total, within the club, we've got over 100 teams at different levels. So we're one wow. of the biggest teams in the country from that perspective. And that gives, and that's really part and parcel of our community um, aspirations and ethos. And within that youth and junior section, we do have girls teams. We had a few, but we saw a lot of them disappear from the club once they got to 16 because there were no other teams available. So, yeah. And where were those girls moving on to, like other clubs, like further up the leagues or your competition? They could be or... moving to clubs in our league. They could be moving to other clubs in the area, maybe yeah. at a lower level. But we weren't keeping them. Yeah. And there was a, a, a really good number of players. So I said, let's get this pathway so we can encourage um, young girls to get involved in football and stay with the club if we can offer them football beyond 16. And that's a big difficulty for a lot of um, clubs that operate at youth and junior level. What happens to their you know, female footballers when they get to the age of 16? Yeah. And really, you should have the um, capacity to give the girls opportunities to play for a few more years at a higher level. And so over the last two years, we've created this pathway from girls as young as three and four, all the way up to the first team. And again, what we're trying to do is break down barriers because there's a lot of barriers to uh, girls and young women being involved in sport. Uh, you know the issues about body image and so on. Yeah, yeah. We want to break those barriers down. And the best way to do it is to offer a, a really friendly environment where they can learn, you know, to play football, enjoy playing football without any pressures, be it peer pressure or pressure from outside. The two new initiatives that we've introduced this season and will introduce next season are we've got a development team, which is one of the bridging teams between the girls who play up to age 16, but are too young and need a bit more experience before they get yeah. into the first team setup. On top of that, the current um, under 16 team will stay together next season because we're going to create an under 18s team. 
the second bridging team. So now we will have a complete pathway from the ages of three to four, all the way up to the first team in a, in a manner that girls can progress at a nice steady pace through the age groups without too much pressure. So we've got... And is there sort of like a target in terms of how many players per season you want to see sort of make that step into the first team? No or? set target because that'll put undue yeah. pressure on the girls. W what we want to do first and foremost yeah. is give them the opportunity to continue playing after 16. You know what it's like even from a boy's perspective, but it's, you know, when boys and girls reach 16, they're, a lot of them mm. drop off from participating in sport. One of the things I want to do is still create the opportunities for uh, young people, particularly uh, from a, a, a women's football perspective, for them to continue playing in teams beyond the age of 16. And we've got that in place. But what that means from a club perspective is that we have got a definite pathway from very young girls all the way up to first team level. And it's very much the approach that teams like, for example, Manchester United, Arsenal back in the day, and mm. uh, Barcelona, uh, Borussia Dortmund and others, where you grow your own talent. And because if you've got that supply line, it helps feed your first team. But if they can't make it to your first team, they'll go and play a good level of football somewhere else. So you've given them the football education. Yeah and it keeps young people participating in sport, which is good for their well-being, their health, and so on. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think one thing I really wanted to ask you as well is that obviously there's been a lot of talk within football in the last sort of couple of months in terms of how the Premier League can really support the women's game as well. What do you believe is needed in terms of sort of from that higher level within men's football to really support the progression of, of the women's game? Well, my view is, is that uh, there should be a funding stream uh, from the Premier League and not only the Premier League. Let's see who the other key players are. You've got the um, broadcasters as well. I believe that there should be a pot of money from the Premier League and the broadcasters and others who make a profit from football uh, that should be placed uh, at the disposal, maybe working through the Football Foundation and others. And I know some money does come from these sources, but I think it should be increased. If you think about the money yeah. uh, that is generated at the higher end of football, then it should there should be a trickle down to um, all clubs. Now, the reason is, is not, these shouldn't be handouts as such. What it is, is actually an investment in the future of football. Yeah, you invest in football yeah. from a community perspective and to keep football alive. Now, uh, on a daily basis, we're reading that, you know, lower level teams, both within the men's and the women's, are folding or not participating in their leagues this season because of the current pandemic. Now, if funding yeah. was available, and we're not talking huge amounts of money, we're talking relatively small amounts of money. If that money was available, then wouldn't that be a great use of finance to support uh, football at the grassroots level and above 
in order to keep it going, to sustain it and take it forward. I think, you know, even from, you know, uh, a reputational perspective, that would do not only the Premier League, the broadcasters, but the Premier League football clubs a lot of good. Now, I do understand that Premier League clubs have got their own community initiatives and they do put money into their community. But I think you've got to look beyond that. You've got to look at the future of football and how it operates and how you get the next generations involved in football, not only from a playing perspective, administrative and so on. You know, there's loads of roles, administration, coaching, analysis, sports science. So you're really investing in the future of the sport from a number of different perspectives if you do that. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I definitely agree with, with a lot of what you said there as well, because there's obviously been talks of the Premier League taking control of the Women's Super League, sort of in a sort of similar way to, to what happened in the early 90s when the Premier League broke away. I, I'm not quite sure what, what your thoughts are of, of if the Women's Super League was to break away from, from your league and the, and the Women's Championship as well. I wouldn't favour that at the moment. I think you you do yeah. need that pathway. You need that ambition to get mm. to the uh, to the Super League. And suddenly, if you take that yeah. away, and the highest you can get is to the Championship, then you know you're sort of reducing the aspirations of young female players. And what does that yeah. say about the state of football in general? You know, and again, one of the questions we are going to have to talk about, are we going to go down the American style franchise model where you've got the leagues are set because you've bought a franchise or do you want the relegation and promotion that really excites fans? Mm. I think it's yeah. going to be a big debate, both in women's and men's football. My view is, is that we're going to go down to some form of franchise to some form of franchise model in the future both you know it could happen from both perspectives women's and men's i i don't think the current structures in place within football will remain i think because of the the pandemic and the impact it's had on football there are going to be structural changes you're seeing at the higher levels that uh, clubs and leagues want to change there have been discussions between the premier league and other uh, institutions both home and abroad as to what the future structures of football should be with you know there's been the, the big picture project proposal you've got constant talk of a European league and so on so this will impact on all aspects of football be it from a women's or a men's perspective so uh, I mean I see some form of franchising coming in in the future how that will work, nobody knows, but there will be structural changes. But the one thing that no, do you know, is there's yeah, I think I think there's a lot of excitement because even looking over in America, I think uh, the other day I saw that uh, Dwayne Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Serena Williams have come together to buy a, a women's uh, soccer team over there in the states as well. And I think if if I look at how things have been done over here in the Premier League, I think. I don't think women's football should try and emulate or replicate anything that has happened within the men's game because having spoke to different people on the podcast so far, I think the pandemic has really uncovered and unveiled a lot of underlying issues around power and wealth within men's football. And I think women's football should almost just 
almost just go on their own route and try and find their own destiny away from all the bad that's happened within the men's I agree with you entirely. And, you know, there is a different ethos and a different set of values to women's football. One Mm. that a lot of people can actually um, empathise with. If you look at the way they behave on and off the pitch, it's very much different to the men's game. If you look at um, a lot of players are... uh, are basically play on a voluntary basis. They're not paid. Um, you're only seeing players paid at the very highest level. And even then, uh, I would state that a lot of them, uh, their wages are not as equitable of, as those of men playing at similar levels of football. So there's a lot of, we've got a lot of volunteers at Solihull Moors uh, for the women's team. You know, the players are not paid. And so, you know, even at level tier four of women's football and to some degree tier three of women's football, very little uh, payment, still a significant reliance on volunteers. But there is a really strong, uh, positive uh, community feel and ethos uh, to all the teams uh, playing at, I would say, tier three and tier four of women's football. Yeah, no, definitely. And and I think probably the sort of main question I have for you as well is that sort of in terms of, of the Sully Hall Moors women's team, where are you guys trying to get to in the next sort of five years? I think you obviously mentioned at the start that you have this sort of clear strategy of where you want to get to. Where is that that you want to get to and, and how long do you think it's going to take you to oh, get there? We want promotion. Uh, that's for sure. We're aiming yeah. to get promoted um, to tier three and then we see where we get to from there because that will be a higher level of football in all probability it will be semi-professional in terms of some form of remuneration for players but also we have aspirations as a club to take all our teams to a higher level the senior teams that is so we've set a goal of getting the foundations in place getting a strong squad in place and um, moving on. So if I can just take where we are this season, um, we've uh, strengthened the squad this season. We've got, in effect, two players for each position. So we've got competition Mm. for places. We've got a development team playing in one of the uh, reserve leagues. So there's another group of players there. Um, Our results have been um, really good this season. So far, we've won three matches, drawn one and lost one in the league. So we're in the um, higher end of the table, which is uh, a a new thing for us. Hasn't happened for a number of years uh, at this level. Uh, We're one of the highest uh, goal, uh, one of the highest goal scoring teams in the league. And we've made history on two counts. We've progressed to the first round proper of the Women's Vitality FA Cup. We've beaten two teams that are, well, in our division, one on penalties and one uh, a, a little bit more comfortably. And and yeah. in this that second day, the third qualifying uh, round game, we made history by introducing our youngest ever player, um, Millie Woodman Booth who's just over 16, made her competitive debut in that uh, game. Came on as a second half substitute, but she is the first product of our pathway. 
She's played for the under 16 yeah. and the development team and is now part of the first team setup. So there is substance between, uh, there is a lot of substance to not only what we're saying, but also our actions on and off the pitch. So when we say we have a pathway, we have a pathway that leads to the first mm. team. And Millie is the first example of that, but there will be others. No, definitely, man. And um, it's now come to the time to reveal your answers to uh, what the fit are you lying for? Okay, then. I'm so, I'm so nervous, Alex. I'm so nervous. Okay, then. I was coached by an ex-Manchester United manager, Dave Sexton. And I was... Dave Sexton? Yeah, and I was doing my um, Masters at Warwick and I joined uh, the football set up there. Um, they had about four teams and I would... Because I was a master's student, uh, my my studies were very intense. So I'd turn up whenever mm. I could. So I turn up to training one evening, and who appears? Dave Sexton to train us. So. Um, oh well. Wow. And you know. I've got I've got a sort of similar story like that, but not not a Man United manager. But I went to training one time, and the Spurs ladies head coach was there to train us. So. Yes, yeah, and it's so, yeah. but it, yeah. it was brilliant to be trained yeah. by Dave Sexton. Who at the time, mm. you know, and he was—he also managed the England under 21s, you know, England Bs. He did a lot of work around the England setup, as yeah. well as being, you know, he managed QPR famously, uh, as well. So he—it was his insights were fantastic, and he was such a down-to-earth man. It was a real pleasure to be coached by him, and I learned a lot there. Well, no, that's good. Okay then. Um, the moment of truth. I was not a professional footballer, but yes, um, yeah. I did play in the semi-professional leagues with- I, I knew it, I knew, I knew it would have been semi-pro, yeah, yeah. But that was more by accident than design. I did my first degree at the University of London. And when yeah. I finished, um, they had an old boys team called Ulysses. And I had a couple of my friends uh, were, were playing for Ulysses and they said, well, why don't you come along for a trial? And, you know, we've got a first and second team that play in the Spartan League. And um, I got through, ended up playing, but we were amateurs playing semi-professional football. The other teams around us yeah. were being paid. You know, there's teams like Haringey Borough and Yedding, yeah. uh, who went on to become Hayes and Yedding and so on. And so we played as amateurs and we really enjoyed it. But, you know, one of the highlights for me was playing against Corinthian Casuals, who were also uh, the other amateur team. But that was not sustainable long term. So, uh, yeah. so the, the, you know, particularly Ulysses um, faded away uh, from that sort of semi-professional uh, uh, setup. And yes, I did meet. Sir Stanley Matthews. Um, I met yeah. him at an event uh, that uh, one of my friend's uh, fathers was running. It was a charity event and he took the time to talk to me and my friend for ages afterwards. Uh, a, a, a most wonderful man and I couldn't believe how small he was. Mm. And Yeah, uh, what a player. Yeah, he, is. Well, but yeah. he was wonderful. You know, he was so gentle and, he, you know, he was willing to give his time he, you know, autographed stuff for us as well. So it was a, a wonderful uh, evening and he uh, was a real gentleman. So there we go. You got it spot on. 
Nah, man, those those are three three great great uh, statements. I won't lie, but um, we always like to end the show with the what the footy question. We've sort of alluded to quite quite a few things so far, which is what the footy needs to happen or change within your space. What needs to change in our space is that we need to change the mindset of young people mm. in terms of um, playing football beyond 16. What we want, and it's not just football, it's sport in general. Keep yeah. playing, keep participating. There are lots of benefits to it. Health, well-being, uh, you create a, a, a social circle of friends, but also you help clubs keep going, particularly mm. semi-pro clubs and particularly clubs such as ourselves. We need that pipeline of young you know, players coming through not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of the community, because the more a community can um, engage with and actually link in because of these young players playing for us at whatever level, then I think um, football and society and the local communities will benefit from it. So that's what's the footy for me. No, no, definitely. And I wanted to even just ask you as well, and so obviously of all this lockdown that's been going on, I can imagine it's all almost disrupted that sort of pathway and, and young young people at the grassroots level really getting into football. Do you, do you sort of fear for the future of, of grassroots women's football or are you quite optimistic that we can get through this period and, and push on? I'm optimistic. Um, I'm an optimistic yeah. person by nature, but I, I, yeah, I, I am optimistic because for example, of what we've put in place at Solihull Moors. We've put the pathway in place. We're giving um, young players an opportunity to play and we're creating more teams as well yeah. at the different young age groups. So the, the more um, uh, opportunities we give young female players, the more the chances that they will uh, actually uh, stay in football beyond 16. And I think it's that period, mm. you know, from 16 to 20, where, you know, a, a lot of young people decide they don't want to be part of competitive sports anymore. But I think, you know, it's good for them. And it, it, it doesn't always have to be competitive at the very highest level. You know, you've got, you know, Saturday leagues and Sunday leagues where, you yeah. know... My sort of level, yeah. Yeah, yeah but... It's great because you go out, you you play yeah. football, you enjoy it, and then there's the social activities afterwards. And I think they're just yeah. as important. No, no, definitely. But Alex, Alexandru, women's chairman at Sully Hall Moors, a club on the rise. Guys, watch out for them. They're going to climb up the leagues. Pleasure having you on the What The Footy podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. Okay then, Paul, thanks a lot and good luck with the podcast for the future. Wow, what an episode. As you guys know, if you follow the podcast, I love speaking about the women's game and chatting with players especially. But it was great to get the perspective of somebody who works more on the operational side of women's football behind the scenes. And Alex gave so many gems from, from the importance that he sees in creating a pathway to all the things that he's built up for Sully Hall Moors and the five-year plan 
that they're building over there. Guys, if you loved today's episode, not liked it, please, please, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show to rank higher and keep on sending those voice notes to whatthefooty at hotmail.co.uk. Peace and love. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's a putting off. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fan. Welcome to Everything Outdoors. Can I help you find anything? Hey, yeah. Can you point us to the camping gear? Sure. Aisle two. Snowboarding? Just bought a new Nissan Pathfinder. It's got intelligent 4x4, and we want to hit the backcountry. Aisle 18. And the boats? Are you sure you can do all this? Up to 6,000 pounds towing. We're good to go. Oh, where's the scuba gear? Return to rugged in the all-new 2022 Nissan Pathfinder. Available intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Towing capability varies by configuration. See Nissan Owner's Manual for proper use. Hey, welcome to Everything Outdoors. Can I help you find anything? Hey, yeah. Can you point us to the camping gear? Sure. Aisle 2. Snowboarding? Just bought a new Nissan Pathfinder. It's got intelligent 4x4 and we want to hit the backcountry. Aisle 18. And the boats? Are you sure you can do all this? Up to 6,000 pounds towing. We're good to go. Oh, where's the scuba gear? Return to rugged in the all-new 2022 Nissan Pathfinder. Available intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Towing capability varies by configuration. See Nissan Owner's Manual for proper use.